You're listening to Draft Chaff. Coming up this week. It'd be a ridiculous thing to do. And yet. And, and yet. <laughs> On power level, just reading the card, it doesn't feel like a mythic. This one is rough. One of the best cards I've seen on the battlefield so far, full stop. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chav. This is episode number 178. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Well, directly above me is my, uh, my neighbor, who appears to have literally just started drumming just now. Uh, they nice. do have a drum kit in an apartment. You know, that's a normal thing to do, right? An acoustic <laughs> drum kit, no less. Not, in a, not an electric one. Uh, listener, I apologize if you hear um, if you hear this. I think it's a, a a local school student because we've been hearing them practice uh, "All I Want for Christmas Is You" an awful lot, and I can't imagine an adult drummer would have too much of a reason for playing just that on repeat for about an hour. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that that sound uh, doesn't travel through and, and uh, have the misfortune of falling upon your ears. As uh, it does for me, though, I will hear it for the next hour. Well, as we are coming into LCI season uh, with this new set dropping, we're shaking things up a little bit in terms of our video or episode release order. So this week we are bringing you the rare roundup video that we or episode that we like to do every. Well, we try to do this every set. We haven't. I don't think we did one for Woe, but um, we don't have a bonus sheet this time around. So rare roundup it is. Before we do that, of course, our usual housekeeping, do jump in the Discord if you haven't already. It's the best place to be to chat all things MTG. Say hi to us. We're pretty active in there as well. Uh, Post about your trophies, discuss your picks, uh, chat about whatever else you want to chat about, and um, just kind of go check out the different uh, channels that we have over there. Link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pod. Huge, huge thanks to each and every one of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. We are so grateful for all of you, especially those who stuck with us through our transition into the kind of the new relaunch of the Patreon. Um, and all of you new folks who have joined us as well. This week, we welcome Ratafia and Dorigan to the Traficianano community over there on Patreon. So thank you so much for your support, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, you both actually did get in uh, before our cutoff for the relaunch period, so you'll have pins coming your way. Um, otherwise, perks over there include things like our custom Draft Chaff Hero stickers, which we're super excited about. We're going to have a custom sticker for every single Draft Chaff Hero going forward. Um, also, drafting the Draft Chaff Cube, which is pretty big. We're excited about that. And, of course, funding prize packs and such other prizes for the bounty boards, which are in our Discord that are available to everybody. Discord's totally free. The bounty boards are available to anybody, Patreon or not. Uh, but of course, if you want to help us kind of bolster the uh, prize support there for the bounty boards, Patreon's the best place to help us out there. Again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draftchefpod. Personally, I'm very excited once uh, we start seeing these bounties roll in. Uh, the Discord uh, trophy channel has been popping off with a lot of people putting their... Well, we had a lot of first attempt trophies. That was pretty cool, uh, myself included. But uh, I'm really excited to see once these bounties start rolling in. I want to see who the uh, frontrunners end up being. Again, these bounties are more for the nonsense, right? It's not about win rate. It's about who can pull off the wackiest stuff. Wiping the board with uh, Amalia or, or flipping the Grim Captain, which I also already did. But thankfully, I'm not eligible for these uh, <laughs> these these bounty board packs. 
All right, on to our crack and draft type thing. Ben, what you got? I actually have a real pack in front of me. I've oh, got wow. a uh, a Lost Caverns of Ixalan set booster. Now, yeah, it's no draft booster. Let's try to get this nice uh, hat crack in there. How's that coming through? Oh, great. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, it's no draft booster, right? But with the upcoming play boosters, I guess we should get used to packs that more more look like this <laughs> instead of a draft booster. Uh, so. so, you know, l- l- let's just roll with it. Uh, first card out of the pack, we have a hidden necropolis. This is the black hidden land, the tap land. I've really liked these so far. The cave. Uh, they've mm-hmm. been nice. Just having the ability in the late game to dump a bunch of mana into your land and potentially get a four drop off of it. On average, you usually get like a two or three drop if you're unlucky at one drop. But uh, I've liked these a lot. I want like one or two in all my decks. I've gotten in the presence of ages. That's the three mana reveal the top four of your library. You can put a creature or a land into your hand and the rest in the graveyard. I haven't played this yet. It's just kind of been, you know, chopping block level stuff for a lot of my green decks. Uh, or it hasn't really aligned with my vector. I haven't had a straight up green black full uh, full depth deck where I'm really just trying to pour everything I can in the graveyard. But I, I would see this being playable in that deck. Uh, I've, I've had a couple green decks that just don't really align with that. I had a really good Merfolk Explorer deck, uh, but th- this wasn't really at home in that. Speaking of cards at home in that vector, Walk with the Ancestors, the five mana sorcery, return up to one target permanent from your graveyard to your hand, and then discover four. I mean, I was thinking about this card earlier. This is a really good rate for those two effects. Because, like, returning mm-hmm. a card from your hand, permanent even, uh, those usually cost two mana. And discover four, I guess that should cost, well, maybe four at the top end. I guess it's this, more like uh, three. It's probably a six drop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, four. yeah. So, like, discover is weird. I think we need, to, we need to go deeper on this at some point. Because when you discover, it's not the same as, like, playing discover four. It's not the same as casting a four drop. But it's also not the same as casting a one drop or casting a two drop or casting a three drop. It's like you're casting a 2.5 drop on average, or, or depending on your curve. Maybe that's close well, to three. Yeah. Technically, there is, there is a mathematical formula I'm sure Frank Carson has worked up for us that we yeah. can plug into whatever our curve is and figure out what your expectations are for it. But it's, yeah, it's not the same. It's, it's worse than just straight up cast a four drop. I want to go on a soapbox at some point. There's that whip that lets you tap it and you discover 10. That's not good. (laughs) Like you pay eight mana, tap it, discover 10. That doesn't actually do what you think. It it means you might play a one drop this turn and you dump 10 mana into it. Like, yeah. Would you ever pay 10 mana to draw a card? Would you pay like eight? Man of the draw card? I, I don't know. Maybe not. Really has to depend on the so. set. Walk with the ancestors, though. The rate seems fine, but it's just a little clunky. Next up, Volatile Wander Glyph. One red, two, two, Golem. Whenever it becomes tapped, you may discard a card if you do draw a card. I found this one is actually pretty well at home in blue red as it's an artifact creature. It's a golem. So when you're playing with uh, some of these vehicles, like the, uh, the runaway minecart or the ones at higher rarity, this actually makes for a pretty good crewmate, right? Because you tap it, it becomes mm. tapped. Uh, it also pairs well with the red-white vector stuff of tapping stuff uh, to put counters on things or uh, cast that angel or, or such stuff like that. Next up, we've got Arazka Puzzle Door. It's just blue for an artifact. Pay one, tap, sack it. Look at the top two, put one into your hand, the other into your graveyard. So this by itself triggers the send because it puts you know, itself in the graveyard. And it probably puts some other things in there as well. 
seems pretty solid in maybe blue black uh where you're really trying to go deep on the graveyard i could see a blue green deck that was trying to go deep on the graveyard doing this as well uh and blue red can use it because it's an artifact that again can trigger descent so uh pretty versatile little uh little card here i i don't feel i feel like it's a glue piece and maybe not a necessary one but it seems fine if you need it sunfire torch that's the one red equipment Equipped creature gets plus one plus oh and has whenever it attacks, you may sack Sunfire Torch. When you do, it deals two damage to any target and equip one. So I haven't actually gotten to play with this one yet, but the rate seems pretty good. I, I'm not sure how relevant dealing two damage is yet. I mean, against a smaller deck, this would be really good, but there's dinosaurs in this set. And you're not going to find too many dinosaurs with two toughness. So hmm. I, I don't know if I love this one yet. That's actually all of our commons. So uh, nothing really super exciting here. I guess the Hidden Necropolis is probably the best of them. Yeah, it seems the safest anyway. We've got our first uncommon here, Pit of Offerings. That's the cave that ETBs tapped. When it ETBs, you can exile three cards from graveyards, and it can tap for mana of any of those exiled cards' colors or just colorless. It's a tapped cave. I mean, if you need fixing and you can dump stuff in your graveyard, this is probably pretty good. I don't know if I'm just jamming it in any two-color deck, though. Um, I haven't seen enough of it yet to know. Mm-hmm. If you're splashing, though, you probably definitely want it. We got Uchbinbach, the Great Mistake. That's the five mana blue black signpost, six four skeleton horror, uh, vigilance menace, and then you can, if you have the send eight, you can pay six, return it from the graveyard to the battlefield with a finality counter on it. I played this one; it was just fine. You know, does exactly what it says it does. I guess this is a cave-themed pack. We've got a cavernous mall here. That's the cave that uh, is untapped. It taps for colorless, and you can pay two to have it become a 3-3 elemental, uh, except it's still a cave, and you can only activate it if you have three caves between your battlefield and graveyard. I haven't actually seen any decks that can turn on that many caves. I think I may have seen a green-white deck that had that many, but they weren't even a caves deck. They were just playing all those because they were good value cards. So I'm even more suspicious that the caves deck is a thing i i really think it's just gonna end up being a meme i saw a post about it uh yesterday or maybe this morning and someone had like the caves deck and it they oh, yeah. went like one two <laughs> and they were like i'm never doing this again <laughs> nice exactly how we expected uh i've got a waterlogged hulk here that's blue for an artifact uh you tap it mill a card and you craft it with an island for four flips into watertight gondola 4-4 it's vigilance and it has crew one it also says descend eight it can't be blocked as long as there are eight or more permanent cards in your graveyard so to be clear you can flip this anytime and it flips into a uh, really it's like a one mana investment up at the front and then you pay four craft with an island if you're playing this in a blue deck that's basically free uh, so you, you pay four to flip it and then it is a 4-4 crew one vigilance that's something. I mean, part of the downside of vehicles is that you wind up tapping a bunch of your stuff. Uh, I guess giving this vigilance means that you can tap something to crew on your turn, then maybe leave something back to tap the crew on, on uh, your opponent's turn, and that makes it pretty hard to get blown out in combat. If they try to kill your blocker, you can just crew in response. Uh, and that just send eight, making it unblockable. Again, this is probably at home exactly in blue-black. I can't really imagine playing this outside that. Uh, Blue Black is just trying to dump its entire library into its graveyard. We're at the good stuff here. Oh, <laughs> we're at the really good stuff here. There's a Skull Spore Nexus. Uh, this is the six green green mythic, the legendary artifact. Uh, it costs X less, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. So the Great Henge, basically. 
Wow, it actually has the exact same cost as the Great Hens, right? Especially with that, uh, yeah. that mana reducer. Cool. And it says, whenever one or more non-token creatures you control die, create a green fungus dinosaur creature token with base power and toughness, each equal to the total power of those creatures. So let's say you trade off a 3-3 in combat. You get a 3-3 with no other text. Fine. Let's say you trade off a 3-3 and a 2-2. You get back a 5-5 with no other text. Cool. Uh, and then you can pay two, tap it to double target creature's power until end of turn. I actually got to play with this card already. Uh, I, I did sort of like a pre-release at home thing over the weekend where a friend and I just jammed some pre-release decks. And I had this one in my pool. Uh, it did exactly as advertised. It was, I was playing green-black, and uh, it wasn't really a graveyard vector, though. I, I just had a bunch of good green-black like mid-rangey cards, some good spells and removal, uh, not really a lot of self-mill. And I had a Skullspore Nexus, and it was pretty great. <laughs> did it exactly as advertised. We've got one last card here. It is a Foil Glimpse the Core. That's the uh, one of the green sorcery. Choose one. Search your library for a basic forest. Or return target cave from graveyard to battlefield tap. Uh, the forest goes on the battlefield tap, of course. Sort of like a rampant growth. Uh, I mean, I'm just slamming Skullspore Nexus here. It's going to be pretty hard to talk me off of a green mythic that cares about power that makes tokens. That's uh, <laughs> it's right yeah, up my alley. Yeah, I mean, technically, it's a card that doesn't affect the board right away, but... True, yeah. By the time, like... I don't know, by like turn four or five, you're casting this for like three mana most of the time, if that, and then like, it just makes all your creatures die into more creatures that that's not, yeah. and then you can double, like, yeah, it's just great. Like, it, there's nothing, there's nothing bad to say about the card, really. Yeah, it's kind of funny. This card's not that good when you're really ahead, right? Because maybe not a lot of your stuff is dying, but it is right. a lot better when you're behind and you need to trade off and, oh, wait, there's the double the power thing. Oh, so it is just good. <laughs> well, yeah, so it lets you trade. It's it's really bad if you just don't have creatures, right? So you're playing this in yeah. a deck that runs like 14 plus creatures and just mm -hmm. really happy about it. Yeah, especially ones with big power. Pairs well with dinosaurs. I think red, green, and red, black are probably the best homes for this. Um, but any green deck is going to have some, some beef in it, right? Yeah, and I think, I mean, it, it. well, we're kind of bearing the lead here, but it, well, we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, but I think you just slammed Skull, Skull Spore Nexus here. Why don't we jump into our main topic? This week, as I mentioned earlier, we are going through our rare roundup. So what we're going to do is, obviously, in our format breakdown episode, we don't typically cover rares because we don't see as many of those in a typical draft. So um, this episode is kind of just dedicated to talking through some of the rares that we've either seen so far or are expecting to see, have hopes for, things like that. And um, also a few that maybe you should just avoid because they don't seem to have a home in any of the vectors in the set or are very difficult to make work. So, um, I mean, we just started talking about Skullspore Nexus. I feel like let's just start there. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we talked a little bit about it. I think the other thing that's really good about it is that both of its abilities care about total. Well, I guess the, the first ability kind of cares about greatest. So you, you do kind of want to go tall there, but the other one, doesn't really and it cares uh it makes makes double blocks and things like that feel a lot better when you're actually getting like significant value out of setting those up one thing to be careful about here in green black i did notice this i had the uh three mana one three death touch and when i traded that off i realized wait a minute i only get a one one as a result so right because it's yeah low uh, power yeah it's, it cares about the power in terms of making the 
So this is a pretty hard card for an opponent to grind through. Like if they were trying to win like the, uh, the board game, the one thing is though, those creatures come back without any of the abilities. So I guess if you're up against like a blue white skies type of deck, which does seem to be a thing in this format, you could just get flown over. Uh, And again, this dies to a braid. So maybe this wouldn't be as heavy a bomb as it is in some formats, but uh, I've really liked playing with it so far is it is strong. It might not be like, I don't know. It's not a dream trawler level mythic or anything, but no. I do think it's good. Like I'd take this over a braid. I, I don't think I'd, there's a very short list of cards. I would take over it. Well, I think too, like if you're just evaluating on face value, you're like an eight mana spell that just gets eaten by a three drop. I don't like that. But again, if you're casting this for three, most of the time, or even four, like you don't feel bad about it getting a braid, a braided necessarily mm-hmm. because from a mana trade perspective, like you're still doing okay. Yeah, that's um, true. You're not usually trading down on mana, I guess. If right. you do pay it for this, it means <laughs> something has gone horribly wrong. Uh, oh, it's probably, probably the worst card in your deck if you're paying eight for this, because what that means is you don't have creatures on board, so it literally is a do-nothing. Yeah. Speaking of funny mythics, let's talk about the Millennium Calendar. One mana uh, is that legendary artifact that says whenever you untap one or more permanents during your untap step, put that many time counters on the Millennium Calendar. And you can pay to tap it to double the number of time counters on the Millennium Calendar. When there are a thousand or more time counters on it, sacrifice it, and each opponent loses one thousand life. Little overkill, maybe, but uh, man, it is funny. Yeah, I was working on an EDH deck that involves uh, turtles, and it's slow and involves tapping and untapping and stuff. Yeah, I didn't know about this. I think I told you about it. It uses um, Archig. I can't even pronounce the card. It's a Sultai turtle. Oh, it's the oh, only. The it's the only turtle commander. Yeah, um, oh, I believe it. <laughs> but it involves tapping and untapping, and like it's mostly a control deck. And hmm. uh, I feel like this needs to be in it. So this uh, seems. I mean, slow and steady, right? Right. Exactly. Uh, I actually did play against this card. I haven't gotten the draft it yet, but my opponent had it. They played it on turn one, and I I, I think they could have been playing it better. Because I noticed that they weren't tapping all their lands at the end of their turn. This uh, cares about um, a- any permanence being untapped. So whenever you untap one or more permanents, you put that many time counters on it. So be sure, right. like, if you have this in play, you want every single thing tapped possible at the end of your opponent's turn. So that when you right. untap it all, it all gets untapped. To be honest, uh, my opponent got it up to around, like, 400 before our, I killed them. Uh, just through attacking on board. If they had been tapping all their lands every turn, I think, and maybe using doubling a little more aggressively, which would have been more obvious because it would have been higher because they've been tapping more properly. Uh, I think they probably could have won the game with it. And I was playing a, a like a mid-range deck. So uh, I think this will probably be too slow if you're trying to play against like a red-white deck. Uh, I think this is actually pretty solid. Uh, if you're playing against like a mid-range or control deck. And then again, that was on turn one. Uh, but then again, it, there's not a super meaningful difference because on turns one to three, the number of permanents that this sees untap isn't even as many as you could have trigger if you play this on turn six. And then you just tap yeah. all your lands and then, or even, I mean, doubling this, it counts itself, right? So right. Uh, doubling it, we'll, we'll see that happen too. Uh, really, really cool card. I, I do actually think it's good and I, I'm excited to try it out. Yeah, also any deck that's going wide or can put just a, a ton of tokens or permanents on the board quickly uh, obviously make this better. So 
um, something to look out for in terms of where to slot, what vector direction to slot this kind of card into. So next up, we've got O'Hare Pakpatik, I think. Uh, deepest sure. <laughs> Epic. <laughs> Two blue blue for the Mythic God. It's a 4-3 with flying. Whenever you cast an instant spell from your hand, it re- gains rebound, which says exile it as it resolves, and at the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast it from exile without paying its mana cost. And then when O'Hare Pakpatik dies, uh, return it to the battlefield tapped and transformed under its owner's control with three time counters on it. And it flips into Temple of Cyclical Time. It's a land. Uh, it taps to add blue and remove a time counter from it. And then um, it has an activability of two blue tap, transform Temple of Cyclical Time, activate only if it has no time counters on it, and only as a sorcery. So essentially, as you tap to add blue mana, you can remove those three time counters that it that the, the flip ability put on it. And then eventually you can flip it back. Now, it's also worth noting when you run out of time counters on this, it can still generate blue mana. It's just an island at that mm-hmm. point that you can choose to flip back whenever you'd like. So when this thing dies, it comes back in like three or four turns. Uh, yeah, right. okay. Uh, so Ojeprak Fatigue, I got to play with this one. I did not love it. It seems like Ojeprak Fatigue would be good because it's a flashy blue mythic four mana four four flyer that cares about instants but instants are sort of at their worst right now because a lot of them i mean as noted by the design team they mentioned that we've taken a lot of instants and sorceries and made them artifacts instead like effects that would usually be stapled to an instant have now been stapled to an artifact just for upping the permanent count and uh, synergizing with a lot of the artifact stuff going on like craft and and building mm-hmm. permanence so there actually aren't that many really good instants that you'd want to be rebounding with this. Uh, the density of instants in this set is much lower than usual, especially the density of like you know good ones. So I, I did play this. I had it, and it just didn't really perform that well. I, I had a deck with just a usual build. It was more akin to just a format of four four flyer that if it died, it would come back eventually, and that's a good card, right? But I don't know if it's that good. I mean, format of four four flyer. Oh, you it's just a four, take three, that too. But format of four three flyer. You just take that and play it, right? But like it dies to a braid, <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah, it comes back eventually. But I mean, this does seem to be a play your one drops kind of set. So I think the game might usually end by the time this guy comes back. I, I'm not in love with this one. Now, some of the gods are good. Uh, I did get wrecked by the green god i haven't seen any of the other ones in play on my side or the opponents uh the green one was really good but this one i can at least say pretty definitively not really a card that's not it's not it's not as good as it looks i mean this versus like a a really strong removal spell you probably just take the really strong removal spell yeah i mean what it does do is it functionally turns all your removal into a second copy of itself in in decks but obviously to ben's point uh if you have a low spell density like you still have to draw the first one in order to get the second anyway and so it's not doing a ton there um i could see it being okay in just like the like as a top end in like a low 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 curve blue white flyers deck um but then it's just a four three flyer that you maybe get incidental upside from and is recurring which isn't nothing but if this is your top end, you don't particularly care about the land, so you're really just mm-hmm. trying to 
flip it back and use your mana to to get it back. But um, I mean, a four mana four three flying recurring threat isn't nothing. So yeah. I imagine it's still going to be quite good. Uh, but it does seem like it's on the lower end in terms of the god's power level. Maybe I'll just say this doesn't slot into every blue deck as automatically as you think it might. Uh, mm-hmm. Vector wise, this would usually be best home in like a blue red spells deck. But blue red is doing artifact stuff, so it's actually going to have maybe less instants and sorceries than usual. So just keep an eye out if you have a bunch of instants and sorceries that that happen to be really good things that you want to be copying. Then yeah, slam Odra Pakpati. But otherwise, it's like uh, maybe slightly worse than it looks. I'm also a little surprised it's a mythic. I know they had to make a cycle of them, but like mm. on power level, just reading the card, it doesn't feel like a mythic. Yeah. Next up, let's chat about Shimuel the Inner Sun. Six mana, legendary artifact, uh, and mythic. Spells you control can't be countered. And at the beginning of your end step, discover five. This one I have played with. This one is sick. Doesn't matter if you're discovering five and you hit like a three drop. When you do that every single turn, it's just really good. I mean, this will eventually cast everything in your deck that costs five or less. And, uh, not a lot of opponents can beat that type of uh, that type of effect. Again, there's yeah. stuff that can destroy this, but this is just such a strong effect. I mean, I, I slammed this in a deck, and it was not even close. I uh, I trophy with that list, so uh, feel free to hop in Discord and see that that deck. It was it was pretty great. Yeah. Now I will say, obviously, the big bad in this set is a braid. I think in terms of removal, like it, mm. because it's a common, you kind of are evaluating cards in terms of does it survive to a braid uh this obviously trades down heavily with a braid but they do have to have it and the ability to cast it that turn because at the very least it's going to let you discover five if you can make it to your end step so this isn't quite a a do nothing card it's not not quite a six drop that doesn't affect the board uh well it doesn't affect the board but it does give you some incidental value out of it if you can make your end step if you can't make it to your end step with this yeah that feels really bad i mean you're you're down four mana against an abrade and that doesn't feel good but you can also craft your deck such that you go heavier on fives maybe if this is your top end you can discover everything in your deck which is pretty solid um and so you're always drawing gas in some capacity with this uh which is pretty decent i I think that's that's solid i haven't played with it but uh, i can imagine it being quite good Next up, Abuelo, Ancestral Echo. This is one white blue for a spirit, legendary creature. It's a 2-2, two, two, three mana 2-2 two, two with flying and ward 2. And it also has an activated ability of one white blue. Exile another target creature or artifact you control, return to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of next end step. A nice recurring flicker effect here. It's not the, the great flicker where like it just flickers out and back in right away. You have to wait till the end step to get it. But... Three mana, two two flying with ward two, pretty difficult to deal with. And then, of course, yeah, being able to flicker any ETBs or get rid of uh, removal spells that may be like pacifying your your creatures or any of those kinds of things. It does also hit artifacts, so you can save uh, your Chamil from getting abraded. <laughs> um, if that happens, like that, I think you're I think you're gonna win because <laughs> this is an effect that these days I would I would get comfortable. I would have expected this to say activate as a sorcery, but it does not. So mm. true. Uh, draft shaft cube worthy. We'll see if it breaks into constructed at all, but uh, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling it. Not that our not that our blue white flicker deck needs any help. And now we gotta wait for the patrons to vote, so it might be in the shortlist for the votes. Yeah. Uh, then again, 
I'm going to just slot it into my copy of the cube because this thing, I mean, it's just so good with the blue red flicker stuff. Now, notably, it also pairs pretty well with some of the black artifact ETBs. There were a certain subset of haters and doubters that in the early access stream said I should not splash Abuelo in a uh, in a black deck that had a bunch of good artifact ETBs. That splashing for Abuelo would be a ridiculous thing to do. And yet. And, and yet. <laughs> it's one of the best cards. It was one of the best cards in the deck. I wanted to see it every single game. Every game that I drew it, I just demolished my opponent with it. I guess cast it, I should say. A couple times I drew it and <clears throat> couldn't cast it, but we're not going to talk about those ones. It was awesome. I mean, think about the artifacts in the set. There's the knife for when it enters the battlefield, your opponent sacrifices a creature. When you flicker that with Abuelo, you win the game. That's <laughs> that's just how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one where when you en- when it enters the battlefield, your opponent discards a card from their hand or exiles a card from their hand, right? Uh, with Abuelo, you just win the game. I-, I did think you could do that on upkeep. Unfortunately, it's not the good flicker effect, as you call it. But Abuelo has been very strong, and if you do manage to get one of these early, look to build around it. If you find that you're in an, an artifact or creature ETB vector, try to jam this thing in your deck because it just turns that deck up to, to 200%. Next up, we've got Deep Fathom Echo. This is two green-blue. It's a 4-4 Merfolk Spirit and Rare. It says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, Deep Fathom Echo explores. Then you may have it become a copy of another creature you control until end of turn. This one is rough. One of the best cards I've seen on the battlefield so far, full stop. So the way this plays out, 4 mana 4-4 ETB Explore. Good enough, right? You either get a card back or this becomes a five. It's not even an ETB. It's every turn. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you get it on your turn and then this is going to happen every other turn, too. Uh, Then it becomes a copy of the best thing on the board for you. So, I mean, it's blue and green. You likely have a trampler or a flyer. Blue, green, right? That's not that outside the, uh, the realm of what you got. Especially some of these common merfolk. There's the common merfolk flyer. There's the uncommon merfolk. The one mana one. Still learning the names. I'll, I'll get those down. Uh, but I had an opponent copy the uh, the one one flyer with with this. So I think by that point it was like a six six, and then they just jumped into the air and swung for lethal. I I could do nothing about it. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think a lot of times these effects are limited by what else, what other creatures you have in your deck. So you wouldn't necessarily want this to become a one one because. Sure, you might gain a keyword, but you're actually losing power and toughness. But with Explore, it kind of just doesn't matter because your 1-1 one, one mm-hmm. is now a 4-4 four, four or a 5-5 five, five or whatever. And uh, yeah, that's pretty dicey. So this does seem really sweet. Exploring every turn is just disgusting. Yeah, that alone is, is enough to jam this. I mean, this is a first pick windmill slam. Don't even look at the rest of the pack. Just shove it in your deck and call it a day. So next up, we've got Hulking Raptor. This is two green green. So moving on with the, the four drop train here. Two green green for a five three with ward two. It's a dinosaur at rare. And at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, add green green. Yeah, I actually uh, flattened LSV <laughs> with this card. Yeah, you did. <laughs> In the early access stream. Uh, I played this, untapped, played a land, cast a seven drop. And believe it or not, that was good enough. On turn five, yeah. Yeah, on turn five. It was the, uh, the, the, the Cycler, right? The one that's a 5-5 five, five ETB make a 3-3. Three, three. I mean, how do, you, how do you beat that start? And then this is still a 5-3 Ward 2. So good. Highly recommend yeah. slamming this card early. And it's, it's costed well. That, like, even at three toughness, you're probably not trading down very often, like in, in terms of mana. Mm-hmm. 
Next up, we've got Kite Cell Larsonist. Two in a blue, two, three, human pirate, flying ward one. When it ETBs for each player, this is important, choose up to one other target artifact or creature that player controls. For as long as Kite Cell Larsonist remains on the battlefield, the chosen permanents become treasures with the usual treasure text and lose all other abilities. This is a really cool design. So it's sort of like a blue banisher priest where it enters the battlefield and you basically have to shut off their best thing. So let's say they've got like a 5-5 five five in play. Boom, that 5-5 five five is now a treasure. And yeah, they could, you know, sit and leave the treasure there and try to draw into removal for the Larsonist. It is Ward 1, so they got to put in a little effort to kill it. Uh, I have found through experience, I've, I've had this in a couple decks, that opponents, they'll usually just sack the treasure to mm-hmm. ramp out their next stuff uh, or, or sack it to something else or craft it away or, or do whatever with it. And they often aren't patient enough to wait around to kill the Larsonist to get their thing back. So if that's what happens, this was a three mana, two, two ravenous chupacabra, uh, you yeah. know, and that's obviously a busted card. Cool thing about this is you can turn your own stuff into treasures. I had mm-hmm. a game where I turned one of my, uh, my map tokens into a treasure because I wanted it to just, be a treasure to help me cast a splash i think it was actually trying to cast my abuelo <laughs> uh so that, that that worked out really well um not too often you'll find the need to make one of your like creatures into a treasure like maybe one of them has a pacifism on it and you just want to get it in the graveyard get some value out of it but it's it's a cool little upside yeah, I think this was the card I saw. I was telling Ben before the show. Uh, at some point, I saw a post on Reddit where someone turned their map into a treasure, and it had the subtype map, 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 treasure. <laughs> uh, so there's a bit of a bug there, but uh, yeah. Awesome. Pretty funny. So moving on, we got Threefold Thunder Hulk. This is a seven mana zero zero. That's it. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it is a gnome. It's an artifact creature at rare. Threefold Thunderhulk enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it. Seven mana, three, three. Whenever Threefold Thunderhulk enters the battlefield or attacks, create a number of one, one colorless gnome artifact creature tokens equal to its power. Ah, okay, I see. So it's a three, three that enters the battlefield that makes three more one, ones. So seven mana, six, six of power over four, bo- three, four bodies. Um, and then you can pay two, sack another artifact to put a one, one counter on Threefold Thunderhulk. So you can convert them back uh to putting the counters on itself pretty great and then again it's not limited to those gnomes that it makes but it's making those every time it attacks too so it's like really pumping out some artifacts i mean realistically you could just play this you're putting a ton of mana into it but if you play this just eat up the artifacts that it generates now it's like a six six and then attacks to make six more of the one ones that you can then just eat up to make it a Mm-hmm. like a 12 12 right and on and on and on and on so that is uh, exactly the play pattern that i got to do with this card yesterday i mean it, it is uh, to a t what you said problem is my opponent killed it with the last sack effect on the stack as i was about to go to my turn and yeah. tap and swing for a billion which okay yeah you can kill it but i mean if they hadn't had that removal spell this obviously would have taken over the game that play pattern though sacking the, all the ones that it makes on etb to make it into a six six to have better attacks that is definitely the right play pattern here. Uh, it, it, is, it is expensive, right? It's yeah, a lot yeah, of mana. Yeah. But this is the type of card that I don't think you should ever pass. Like, it's seven generic mana. You'll put this in any deck. Three, three, make three one ones for seven generic. That's like, <laughs> that, that's a really good rate. And then all the other yeah. stuff, 
uh, one of the attacks it makes more. Uh, the sack of thing that you don't even have to sack the tokens. You can just sack your other random stuff laying around. Treasures, map tokens, uh, other little dorky things. Yeah, this card is a huge bot. Yeah, it does also like functionally give any of your other artifact creatures ward two or ward in a way because like if anybody points removal at it, you can just sack them at instant speed to put a counter on this thing. Um, yeah, yeah really good. Obviously, big bad abrade is there to shut down your fun, but uh, we're gonna be saying that about most cards in the set because there are a lot of artifacts. All right, let's talk about Tarion Soul Cleaver. This is the one mana legendary equipment. Uh, it is a rare. And it says, Equipped creature has vigilance. Whenever another artifact or creature is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a 1-1 counter on equipped creature. Equip 2. So cost 1, equips for 2. That's Shadow Spear, right? So definitely playable. Uh, especially, the, it just gives vigilance right off the bat. That's, you know, pretty relevant. Uh, even if the other thing isn't triggering. But this other clause here, whenever another artifact or creature is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a 1-1 counter on equipped creature. I've seen this thing go nuts. So think about like a combat where maybe three or four things die by the end of it. Well, that's three or four counters going on your equipped creature. Uh, if you have, you know, a combat trick or a removal spell to blow out one of your opponent's things, this will get a counter right away. If you can sacrifice treasures, this will it'll put counters on your thing. Uh, if you sacrifice map tokens, if you sacrifice artifacts in another way, and this goes for both players. So this both works really well with your own artifact sack stuff and punishes your opponent. I actually accidentally put a couple counters on one of my opponent's creatures that I didn't mean to while I was playing a black-white sack deck. I just had so many sacrifice things that, I mean, I was just growing there. I actually had a Bartolome, the black-white signpost, and I was sacrificing my stuff to put counters on it. My opponent had a Soul Cleaver attached, so their thing was growing with my Bartolome. So it, it was pretty cool. Uh, good card, good in black-white matchups, regardless of whether you're the black-white player or the opponent is. Uh, obviously, this is great in a black-white sack deck. But if your opponent's playing black-white sack and you're playing like blue-red and you have this, it's still going to be pretty good. So a uh, good card, probably not one I'll pass very frequently. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't take much, right? It's colorless, cheap to equip, cheap to cast. You do get that just initial vigilance clause out of there. And then it it kind of just says like point removal spells at me, right? Like your opponent yeah. wants to remove whatever you've equipped to this to. And that's not the end of the world because it is only equipped two. So um, it's not difficult to re-equip to something. So yeah, it seems pretty sweet. I'm excited to try to get my hands on one of these and, and give it a go. So next up, we've got Restless Ridgeline. And this is really representing a cycle of cards, I think. but. Um, We'll read Restless Ridgeline here. This is the red-green one. It enters the battlefield tapped. It's a land. It's a rare. It taps for red or green. And then you have an activated ability. All of this cycle are, are man lands, as they're called, or uh, creature lands. So this one is two red-green. Restless Ridgeline becomes a 3-4 red and green dinosaur creature until end of turn. It's still a land. And whenever Restless Ridgeline attacks, another target attacking creature gets plus 2 plus 0 until end of turn. Untap that creature. Do you remember when these yeah. things stopped before that that second clause? I mean, this would have been yeah. a solid card just as pay four, make it a three, four dinosaur. Like that alone would be like, yep, dual land activates. Before these things just used to have a keyword on them. Like I was thinking of the old black green one, three mana becomes a two, three death touch. Like, all right, 
good cool <laughs> yeah or like shambling vents was like a really popular one for a while i think that was a three two lifelinker or something something like that yeah but but restless ridgeline this is i mean <laughs> that's beefy if you had a four mana three four with that other stat on it that would be like a rare right and this is that yeah you got to do a little work to get it to come out but when you need it it's basically like that card is always there in your hand and just gets sacked in a turn something like that i mean this is this is a really strong effect i noticed that these these uh lands the cycle are pushed the uh the red the right green one the llama is pretty good too it pumps your whole team uh the, the shark is scary four mana to activate it becomes a four four this is in blue black uh becomes a four four and whenever it attacks uh, a player mills four so blue black i mean that's exactly what it wants to do but if your opponent is low enough on cards i mean that could just mill them out in a couple turns yep yeah i mean that's like a really good control win condition too uh ridgeline seems awesome and these cards all seem pretty strong uh, again you don't want to take these super early but you know they're good picks yeah these are always weird because this one you know we and especially in in like cube environments we talk about how good lands are generally irreplaceable you want to pick them up relatively early because it helps you set up your deck and in cube you're looking for the cards that are uh not easily replaced right you don't want to just pick up everything that you can find multiple copies of necessarily in normal and limited environments they go up a little bit or down a little bit like you don't really want to be taking duels too early typically because you don't know what colors you're playing and normal limited environments typically don't support you just kind of figuring out your colors later on but these are really pushed and they feel like they they feel like gold creatures that are also mana dorks more than they feel like a land that can sometimes become a creature so yeah i mean they are tap lands they are etb tap lands and they that will matter but that those these these creatures are not like little add-ons they are in themselves like real creatures so yeah yeah it's pretty solid i think if i was green and i I took like four green cards at a pack one and then i saw this i would just slam it same thing with red yeah yeah i think so too i don't think you necessarily want to be first picking these Mm -hmm. but third pick yeah i mean if i go two good green cards or two good red red cards i'm just gonna take this because it's likely going to end up in my deck it's also splashable it technically splashes itself though then you don't get to attack with it because you're tapping it <laughs> yeah um, these can be tricky with splashes i mean they, they more enable splashes than anything else and then when you draw your yeah. other color then you just happen to get it I, I don't know how much this set is dependent on splashing it i've splashed a couple times but it does seem to be a pretty base two color set sure I guess my point is it doesn't lock you into either. It doesn't lock you into both colors. You still mm-hmm. can use it when you're trying to support a splash. And if you end up being able to then activate the ability, great. But yeah, they all they all seem to have creatures that are real creatures. And that ticks them up a little bit in my in my perspective. Probably looking, yeah, third, fourth pick, uh, these things. So Let's jump into our listener question of the week, where we're going to answer a question from our Discord server. Feel free to ask questions in our uh, questions channel we have one of those hop in there uh spurlo this week asks what deck size would you play if there was no minimum deck size for limited look Sweet deck size doesn't question. matter 
I mean, I don't know. I, I think it matters quite a bit. So, I mean, I, I actually know that this is already pointed out in the uh, in the channel, but there was a conspiracy that allowed you to shrink your deck size by five. Any combo deck or any deck where there are a handful of cards in your deck that were significantly better than others, so you you want to draw them more frequently, can benefit from having a smaller deck, right? Now, I guess if you're going to do that, let's think about how many cards are usually in deck when a game ends. In a lot of limited formats, it's between 14 and 20. So yeah. I could see maybe playing like... Uh, 25 card deck and we're assuming no other rules have been changed right like your hand size is still the same that type of thing yeah but the size of like minimum deck size in this sort of scenario right is going to change the way you structure your deck you end up mm -hmm. at like 14 to 20 cards when you're playing cards that draw extra cards when you're playing stuff that discovers to like pull cards out of your deck when you're playing cards that fetch lands out of your deck yeah that speeds up the process but and also inadvertently right like contributes to the deck the game ending when it does such that you have so many cards in your deck when it ends but um i think if you could only play like 20 cards in your deck if or rather if that was the minimum and you were trying to aim to play 20 deck 20 cards in your deck you're probably not playing very many card draw spells you're probably mm -hmm. not playing like this the the types of cards that you're going to give a slot to changes a lot you're probably playing like what like 12 to 15 creatures in just every deck because you can just hit the board really easily yeah i mean I, I think this does incentivize an aggressive start like i mean there there are red white aggro decks that don't have a lot of card draw they want to close out the game in the first six turns seven turns red white decks that would then want a more likely chance to draw their good two drops because you know when you're playing like a red white beatdown deck and you have that one just kind of generic two mana two two that you're like well I guess I got to put that in because I need one more two drops that I have like six or seven drops between one and two mana. Well, in this case, if you could bring it down to 20 cards in deck, then you'd be more likely to see your very strong two drops. You'd almost have a, a stacked hand every time. So I think the more aggressive decks want that. Now, I think this is actually a really good question because I was seeing some threads on Twitter today about how uh, in this format in LCI, with the self mill vector, some people are actually finding it better to play more than 40 cards. So mm -hmm. 41, 42, 45, 47, I was seeing deck lists of all of these and they were trophying and they were doing well. And, you know, when you are milling yourself a bunch every turn and you have the good permanence to put in your deck, then yeah, you may as well, right? Uh, some of these are also getting a little fancy with going multicolor. And maybe some of these were also, you know, lucky enough that they had plenty of playables. But ultimately, this is why, as a general heuristic, they always say you should always play 40 instead of 41, because you are just that slight bit less likely, like two-ish percent less likely, to draw your best stuff. Uh, right. You might, you know, you're just slightly less likely to have that good stuff in your hand. That's why, overall, in most sets, you're supposed to just play 40. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because the question, right, is like, if there was just a no minimum deck size, what deck size would you like to play? For me, that changes based on what I'm what I'm playing. Mm -hmm. A control deck does not want to be playing five cards typically, <laughs> right? Like you don't want to. Be, also, in in Magic, there is the downside that once your deck is empty, you lose the like. If you try to draw with an empty deck, you lose the mm -hmm. game. So you don't want to go so so small deck size that you can't close out the game before you run out of cards. 
And if your opponent's yeah. deck interacts with yours in any way, in terms of milling or anything like that, then you're kind of screwed. So I could see if I'm playing like a mono red aggro deck or a mono red burn aggro, some combination of that, uh, playing like 10 to 15 cards that are just all one and two drops and like maybe th- five lands. I don't I have, know. Like, yeah. Uh, it's going to be seven goblin guides, seven lightning bolts, uh, and six lands. Six mounts. Right. Yeah. Perfect. It's like, it's like deck. a bunch of one and two drops. <laughs> Those are all ones, I guess. But yeah, you play like a bunch of one and two drops and then like five to seven lands, depending on the actual makeup of how many twos and how many ones you have. And then that's it. And you just, you just go face and you try to close the game out as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, if you're playing control or like some variation of mid range, you probably want more cards that enable you to do more. Yeah. Like more shenanigans, uh, give you a little bit more room, a little more time to close the game out. Um, so yeah, I think those, that's where those numbers line up, but you still probably don't ever want to go below like 20 or so. Mm-hmm. Now, that's why the conspiracy is in our cube, uh, along with a bunch of other ones, mostly because they're just funny and we want to give them a home because there was a definition draft chaff, like a rare conspiracy. This will literally never see play again, except at its home in our cube. Uh, And we do have some combo oriented decks. I think our green white twin deck really benefits from having five less cards because they're more likely to draw the twin pieces. Uh, as well as some of our free casting stuff actually can also benefit. That one also is is pretty dependent on putting together certain combination of cards. Uh, cards that allow you to free cast spells and then the big spells themselves. Whereas some decks like the yeah. Flicker deck, they don't necessarily want to reduce the number of cards they have. I mean, they can, but I mean, the Flicker deck sometimes acts more like a toolbox, right? Or spiders. Like it doesn't, it's not really playing on that axis. It's just playing a bunch of good spiders. Sometimes you would want to have more spiders in your deck and you might be like, oh no, I don't want to shave my library down by those five cards. I want to include all these good spiders to up my spider count in my deck. Yeah, that's a big point too, right? Is just like, do you have cards you need to have by a certain point in the game? And if so, you probably benefit from having fewer cards in your library. If not, it largely isn't going to matter. All right, on to Fairy Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, how's it going? It's going. Uh, we had a bit of a, an internet issue <laughs> during this recording, so it's, it's taken a little longer than it usually does. But hey, we didn't have to re-record the entire episode. I'm going to call that a Teferi. Uh, very excited for next week's episode. I think that is a Teferi we both share. I think, in fact, the entire community will be pretty pumped for what we, <laughs> what we got in store. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a good one. It's gonna be an all timer, I think. Are we telling them? Just get, keep it to ourselves. Nah, we'll let's, let's make them wait. Uh, I also am flying to Florida this weekend for uh, for a bachelor's trip, which is a very bizarre thing, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. It's not quite my usual vibe, my usual energy, you know, Tampa, Florida. Um, but hey, I'm gonna lean into it. I'm gonna have a good time. Uh, my tibble is that I'm just there's so many things to do. I've been just flattened with schoolwork and just uh, an awful lot of things keep popping up. I mean, just every every day there's something as a teacher. And uh, sometimes you wonder if there's any actually truly normal days. There, there's not. There's no there's no days where everything goes as you expect. That's the job. Uh, love it, but it is exhausting. What's up with you? Yeah, my Teferi, uh, similarly, I share the the Teferi that next week's episode is going to be very fun. Very excited for it. Um, I'm also very excited, like, I had the realization today that Thanksgiving is next week. For all of our U.S. listeners, um, 
Thanksgiving is is just just around the corner. And I'm very excited for that. It's a big holiday in my family and uh, one of my personal favorites. So I'm very ready to eat my heart out and then draft a bunch and then crash on the couch until I can move again because that typically is how it goes. Also, I am hesitantly optimistic about the new live-action Avatar Last Airbender series (laughs) based on the trailer that dropped. There were some really good shot-for-shot recreations they That's didn't true. whitewash anybody. They yeah. seem to have casted fairly well. I mean, it's tough to tell how well the casting is done by the trailer. And I'm a diehard Avatar fan with the original material. So I am very hesitantly optimistic. But from the trailer, things look quite good. It seems like they're doing a really good job. We'll see how the story pans out and how that all kind of uh, comes out in the wash, as they say. But uh the trailer itself looked great and some of the shot for shot recreations were really good. Mm -hmm. My knee jerk reaction is to write off any live action remakes as mostly nonsense. Uh, We've seen a lot of Disney cash grab type ones that I think are pretty universally agreed to just be pandering to a certain audience. And uh, that I don't don't love that, Uh, especially with how much I love animation and things like avatar, where a lot of the artists really just poured their heart and soul into it. Voice actors, talented directors all that type of thing uh this one i will watch for love of the game i just i'm a, such a big avatar fan Korra fan too just that I, it's i i have to watch this one, right well that about does it for us this week thank you so much for listening do check out the discord if you haven't already it's the best place to be to chat with us and the rest of the traficionado community those bounty boards are running so i mean they're gonna be up until the end of the set once our format farewell episode drops then they close for the season so get in there share with us uh screenshots of you hitting those bounties we're really excited to see uh people participating in there and just the the shenanigans that will ensue trying to reach some of these bounties so let us see them uh jump in there also share your trophies we'd love to see those as well and if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchatpod. Thanks again to all of our patrons who continue to support us and help make this show what it is. And uh, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter or X or whatever <laughs> at draftchatpod. And you can find us on Reddit as well, u slash draftchatpod. Thanks, folks. And we'll catch you next week. So I had a, uh, an interesting class in physics today. We had our great egg drop project, which no doubt you remember. Of course. Yeah, I'd love to hear about this one. Yeah, egg drops are always great. Uh, did you promise a, a class pizza this time? <laughs> Thank goodness. No, I did not. I learned my lesson from past times when, I don't know, anytime I, I promise some sort of prize, they all just turn it in overdrive and they all, they all just go as hard as they can. I, I've decided that like, I've thought about saying if they all, like all my classes egg survive, I would shave my head. I have decided against that. That would be a See, terrible idea. See, but here's idea. the problem. The internet exists, and I don't know how much time you give them between setting this challenge and then like them performing it, but like they can just yeah. look up ways to do this, right? Yeah, I do provide constraints. My constraints are that their object must be in free fall, accelerating at 9.8 meters per second downward. Meters per second squared. What am I talking about? I must be exhausted. Duh. Uh, must be accelerating in free fall. Uh, at all times so it can't have any kind of like uh levitation devices like blades or fans or balloons or wings or anything like that uh and that that does knock off a lot of like the easy ones 
Uh, but there's a couple out there. I know Mark Rober, he's made a couple videos uh, talking about the best ways to beat the egg drop challenge. He knows his audience. Uh, that being said, I had some, some pretty unique ones today. I had, a, I had one student who tore apart a bunch of dog toys and, and refashioned them inside a cardboard box to like delicately cradle the egg. It was hmm. bizarre. Uh, it did work up until the last drop from a two-story one. That one, don't think it survived that. I had some students uh, who, who took this stuffed penguin and basically eviscerated the stuffed penguin, just put a huge slice down it and uh, stuffed the egg inside there and then put like a little, sort of like a, a sled of uh, like popsicle sticks underneath to like cushion the impact too. It, it was pretty cute, very winter themed. They named it Penguita, which I thought was cute. Uh, Penguita did did carefully protect her egg all three drop heights, including from a two story. Uh, maybe the funniest though was <laughs> probably when uh, one of my students dropped her her kind of like Tupperware uh, with a bunch of padding inside and the egg inside. The Tupperware smacked into the ground. The lid opened. The egg comedically rolled out onto the ground, one hundred percent unscathed but at a high speed towards the rest of the class. So they all like screamed and jumped out of the way of this live egg. And they came like flying towards them afterwards. I counted it. I mean, it, the egg survived, although the whole idea was we're trying to mimic like what a, an engineer would have to do while designing like a Mars lander. And I, I don't think they want that to happen in the Mars lander, but you know, for high school physics, it's good enough. 